This is the day that uh, Congress has uh, set aside to honor the men and women uh, who have served our country in the armed forces. It was first observed as uh, in 1921 when an unidentified soldier from World War I was laid to rest in Arlington National Cemetery. In 1926, Armistice Day was officially declared by a resolution of the United States Congress. It became a national holiday uh, in 1938, but in 1954, President Dwight Eisenhower, who was the supreme commander of Allied forces in Europe and World War II, as President, 1954, President Eisenhower signed a bill officially declaring November 11th as Veterans Day in the United States. And so it is only fit and proper to honor and thank uh, our veterans and those of you who uh, have given that service. And so while we honor our veterans, there's also soldiers uh, that I also want to uh, keep in mind and talk about. They may not have worn an American uniform, but I'm referring to the Bible talks about that there are soldiers of Christ. Do you realize that? There are soldiers of the Lord. There are soldiers who, again, may not have put on a uniform. Uh, I was never in the military. I played Army as a kid. That's about it. I played Army, and we shot BB guns at each other, and somehow we didn't have our eyes taken out. I I shudder in horror in thinking about that. But uh, nevertheless, I digress. But uh, there are soldiers of the cross. There are soldiers of Christ. And, you know, the Bible says that we don't war against flesh and blood, right? We're not warring against, you know, listen, guys, the enemy is not this political party or that political party. I mean, I get all into the election. We all get riled up about it. But let's keep in mind that those, they're not our enemies, okay? Uh, We don't war against the natural flesh and blood, but we war against spiritual powers and principalities that Paul talks about. In Hebrews chapter 11, which again, don't turn there, but if you're familiar with it, Hebrews 11, we call that the great uh, uh, chapter of faith. And there's all sorts of individuals who are noted there in Scripture who have uh, served the Lord as soldiers uh, and giving their lives and and have sacrificed their lives for the gospel. And so chapter 11 honors them in that chapter of faith. And there's great men and women who have lived, who have given themselves as martyrs. It was the uh, church father, Tertullian, who said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. There are millions of nameless people that perhaps only in uh, our days in heaven that we'll ever know who have given their lives and the ultimate price of spiritual soldiers for Christ in the advancement of the gospel. And you know, today in our nation, there's still a need for men and women to be soldiers of Christ, right? There are still people, again, we're not fighting with weapons, we're not fighting with natural means, but there's a certain uh, 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 imagery of being a soldier and the discipline that's involved in being a soldier of why I think that the Bible has a lot to say about and using that, that, that military imagery 
in regards to being a follower and being a servant of Christ. And so this morning, I want to talk about uh, being a soldier for Christ. And even though we won't sing the hymn, the title of the message this morning is Onward, Christian Soldiers. How many of you remember that hymn? Okay, well, we're not going to sing it because I didn't tell Sharon in advance about it, and she would panic, and then I would, I would have grief all day. No, no, she's very easygoing. But we're not going to sing that. And as I was thinking about it, there's certain denominations that in the past 15, 20 years have removed a lot of any hymns that had to do with any sense of, you know, uh, any word fighting or about the blood of G- all that. And so Onward Christian Soldiers was one of the ones that got ripped out of certain hymnals. And again, hymnals aren't like the Bible. But it just showed that there was this mindset that somehow the Christian life doesn't involve a fight. Uh, if you are a computer person or have a concordance or any of those things, do a little search on the word fight or fighting, and you will find the word used a hundred plus times in uh, the King James Version, at least, that have to do with fighting. Fight the good fight of faith, right? Doesn't it say that? You know, the idea that we're to be pacifists, uh, first of all, in the natural, that's not a biblical idea, because Romans 12 says that God has given to the government the authority of the sword. You realize that's a biblical concept? Romans 12 talks about that. But in the, in the spiritual sense that we are called to fight the good fight, when Paul talks about putting the whole armor of God, I only need armor when I'm getting ready to engage in a what? In a battle, right? I don't put on full armor of God when I'm shopping at Publix, right? They'd call the police. They'd call, get me arrested. Uh, and then it would go back to Karen that she's got a nut for a pastor that's walking around like that in Publix, and she works there. So, uh, so the Bible... The concept of fighting and battle, that's, uh, that's imagery is certainly a biblical concept. And if you turn to your Bibles, you see the Scripture there in 2 Timothy. One of the great warriors is the Apostle Paul. And as he neared the end of his life, he, the last or the oldest letter that we have attributed to him is 2 Timothy. And he wrote this from a cell as he was facing his own death. Uh, Church tradition says that he was beheaded in Rome. And he was a soldier, he was a good soldier who was faithful to Christ. And it was during this time that he was in this languishing in this jail cell that this general of the faith, if we could say it, took time to write a young soldier, his protege, his son in the faith, by the name of Timothy. And so this morning, as Paul writes this letter to Timothy, using this, this uh, kind of this uh, setting of a Veterans Day and talking about soldiers, I want us to draw some things that Paul counseled young Timothy about being a soldier of the cross and see how those fit into our own life and encourage us to be faithful in our rank and file as we serve King Jesus. But before we do that, can we pray one more time as we pray for God's Word to speak to our hearts today? Gracious Heavenly Father, how grateful we are, Lord, that you sent your Son Jesus to give the ultimate sacrifice. He who knew no sin became sin for us when you gave your life on the cross. So, Lord, it is because of the finished work of Christ 
Lord, that we're here today, that we can open your word and believe that by your Holy Spirit, God, you will speak to our hearts and encourage us. Lord, this is a sermon to uh, motivate us. This is a sermon to, Lord, push us a little bit, uh, awake us, awaken us out of our maybe our, uh, our stupor that where we've been lax in our commitment, God, in, in who we are and the task that you've called us to do. And so, Father, as we always pray, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart as your voice here today, it opens your word. Lord, be acceptable in your sight. May your Holy Spirit, Lord, work in us. And thank you that we can hear the voice of God through Scripture. And uh, we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Paul reveals the qualities that make great soldiers. And this morning, we want to look at some of those qualities. Notice with me, first of all, that a soldier of the Lord, that the soldier knows about following. A soldier knows about following. Look at uh, chapter 2 and verse 3, 1 Timothy chapter 2, or 2 Timothy, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3. I had my little ribbon there in the wrong spot. He says, you therefore must endure hardship as a what? As a good soldier. There's a good soldier and there's a bad soldier, but you're a good soldier And it says that you must endure hardship as a good soldier. So the idea of following that a soldier is, by its very definition, a soldier, because it implies that in the rank and military order that that soldier is following. It implies leadership. It implies that there is somebody directing. Uh, A couple of things, that there must be, first of all, to be a soldier for Christ, we can all kind of... get this right off the bat, is you've got to have a relationship with Jesus. You can't be a soldier for Christ. You can't be following Christ unless you have a relationship with Jesus, right? The Bible says you must be born again. So that's where where it begins. Uh, Only by receiving Jesus into your life and confessing, you know, when we confess him as Lord, what are we saying? You are king of my life. You are head of my life. You direct my life. So the first place of following means to be, needs to be that we are following Christ. It implies relationship. Also, we talk about a soldier following uh, also uh, implies rank. You know, in our America, we have a very, uh, uh, something kind of embedded in us that of individual liberties and freedom, don't we? We love that, right? to pursue happiness and to pursue our dreams, right? But who in this world exists that doesn't answer to somebody? Well, if I could be president of the United States, then I wouldn't answer, have to answer to anybody. Oh, yeah? How's that working so far? I mean, so, so when you are in the calling of Christ, uh, you're part of the rank, you're part of confessing that there is always somebody higher than you, and ultimately, the one who is higher above you is Christ. We follow him. We're under his direction. We are under King Jesus, and so, therefore, we are responsible to take his lead. We are under his leadership, and that's part of what involves following. If you know anything about the story of Jesus, you know Jesus had a lot of encounters with people that wanted to follow him. Can you think of some of them? How about the rich young man? You remember he came to Jesus and he said, uh, Jesus, uh, 
you're lucky to have me. I have kept all the commandments since I was a kid and got money, got wealth, and I'm ready to go, Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He told him to go and sell everything that he had. Now, some people misinterpret that and say, you know, to be a Christian, you've got to become impoverished and get rid of all your earthly goods. Well, I don't think that's the case because the disciples had enough money going on. They had to have a treasurer. Did you ever think about that? He wasn't a good treasurer, but he was a treasurer. So me, we don't have a treasurer. Do you have a treasurer? Yeah, it's probably your wife, men, right? Uh, but, but again, uh, I don't have a financial consultant, okay? So if you're at that level, God bless you. And we're going to take another offering to help you uh, release some of that. But anyway, but, but so it wasn't about money. What did he just say? He said, I have obeyed all the commandments. And by Jesus saying, go sell all that you have and give it to the poor, he put his finger that he couldn't get past the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. He was an idolater. What was his idols? His idols was his wealth. And he was unable to part with his wealth to follow Jesus. He was not a good soldier. He wasn't even a soldier. There was others that Jesus... They came to Jesus and said, we'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, uh, uh, let's, you know, come follow me. And the one, one, one of the men said that, well, first, in other words, I'm going to come, Jesus, but first let me go bury my father. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their dead. And you think, well, that was kind of cruel of Jesus. Why would he say the poor man just wants to go and have a funeral for his dad? Well, that wasn't what he was saying. That was a culturalism that meant, let me go bury my father as the eldest son. Let me go and make sure that I'm there as my father passes on in order to inherit the wealth of my father. Because if I abandon my father before he dies, I will not receive his inheritance. You see, that's what was going on there. It wasn't a funeral. It was meaning that if I, if I leave dad now, I'm going to be written out of the will. And so, Jesus, I'll catch up to you in a few years, and I'll be more useful. But Jesus says, follow me right now, and he let him go. And there was others that said they'll follow him, but Jesus said something in Luke 9, 62. He says that no one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back. What's the looking back? The looking back is, do I really want to follow? Jesus is in front of me. Do I really want to follow? I'm looking back as though there's a conflict in authority. If there's a conflict and authority in your life, the, Jesus says you are not fit for the kingdom of God. Now, again, I never have gone through boot camp, so I in no way imply that I know one thing about it, okay? I've watched a lot of movies. But some of you going through boot camp, I think this would be fair. Uh, Mr. Mosley, you are... When you retire, I know I'm going to pick on him and he'll be upset, but you retired as a master gunnery or master sergeant. Now, is it fair to say that boot camp in a very nice form is to totally weed out any sense of individual, I mean, I'm being very, but it is to where when the orders are given, you don't stop and pause and think, do I want to do that? It is that your impulse, I know you're being nice, but your impulse is to obey orders. Because when you are in the 
threat of death, you will not have the nanosecond to think, is this something I want to do? Where it creates an, an instinct embedded in you of obedience, generally, right? Fair. So I must be a follower, and it means that I'm following my ruler. It also means just that, that there's someone who rules my life. When we talk about Jesus as Lord, if you don't follow orders in the military, they call that what? Starts with a T. Traitor, Traitor treason. When you, when you are going to abandon the orders of your leader and you're going to walk off the front line, when you're going to disobey orders that would in turn threaten the death of others around you, that's treason because you have chosen another allegiance than the allegiance that you swore when you became a person of the military. You with me? So when we talk about Jesus as Lord of my life, we sing, He is Lord. He is Lord. And you know as well as anybody else, He ain't Lord of your life. You only want to do what is convenient, right? You're not really interested in following. As long as Jesus doesn't ask you anything that really is going to mess up your life or your routine, you're all in. But Lord doesn't mean that you have the option to choose or decide. When Jesus says things very clearly in the Word of God, are you following Jesus as Lord? Lord means master. It means that you rule my life. Sometimes in, Ameri in our Christianity, we've gotten this concept of saying, well, you know, I asked Jesus as Savior, but I've not made him Lord in my life. Then you're probably not a believer because there's no such dichotomy. There's no such thing as Jesus as a Savior without being Lord. By very definition of who he is, he is Lord. It's not like when you buy a car and they give you a bunch of options that you choose not to do. No, I'm really not into that. I just want this little ticket that says, get out of hell. I need that punch so I don't go to hell, so I'm going to pray this little prayer and do this little thing. But I'm really not interested in him telling me what to do. Well, you got a big problem. You got a big problem. You got an eternal problem. Jesus said about such in Matthew 7, where he says, But I never knew you. I never knew you. So it means that we must be followers. Secondly, Paul here in writing in 2 Timothy says that a soldier also knows about faithful, faithfulness. Faithfulness. Look at verse chapter 2, verse 3. There's a patience. It says, You must therefore endure hardship. There's a patience in being a soldier for Christ. It means that when we sign up, when we become believers, part of what is very clear, and this perhaps might uh, be different than sometimes the package of goods that might be sold when people are converted, is that um, when you become a Christian, or maybe, maybe you said this, when I became a Christian, I never realized I would have so much trouble. Has that ever happened to your life? I mean, all of a sudden, this perfect marriage to this unbeliever all of a sudden went haywire. Uh, this job situation where you're able to fudge and cheat and kind of play the game or whatever, all of a sudden now you have a different leader that you're following, and all of a sudden now you have conflict in fudging those receipts 
to get that little extra stash that they'll never miss, right? All of a sudden, the things that you used to say and do on Fridays and Saturdays, you're, not, you're here on Sunday as a believer, and I hope this is the case, and you're not dealing with it, you're not nursing a hangover because of what you used to do on Saturday nights. Why? Because you're under a different allegiance now, right? And so part of the hardship now, all the friends and, fr- you know, and all these people, all of a sudden they think, what have you become, a Jesus freak? What have you done with your life? All of a sudden now, this peace and tranquility of being a follower of Jesus that you bought into, all of a sudden, all hell is broken loose in your life. And you're thinking, wait a minute. I thought every day is supposed to be a Friday. I thought every day is, what do you mean? Because when you signed up, quote unquote, and came under the authority of Jesus, you became enlisted into his, could we say, his, as a soldier. And all of a sudden, a soldier, the only reason a nation has a standing army is because they feel like they need to have a standing army is because there is a threat to their borders. There is a threat on the outside, so they need protection. When you are, as a soldier of Christ, you are entering into a fight whether you realize it or not. And so therefore, it involves hardship, and there must be patience because Jesus said, he said, these things I have spoken to you that believe that in me you might have peace, but in the world you will have tribulation. You will have trouble, but be of good cheer. Jesus says, I have overcome the world. He says, you're going to have tribulation. Remember what Paul said in Romans 8 when he said, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he talks about things that could be potential things and threats. Should tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. In other words, as followers of Christ, we must endure Hardship, hardship in being under the leadership of Christ, and that involves that patience. There must be, in verse 4, the next verse, there is a change in our priorities. Notice what he says in verse 4. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of what? It's on the screen. It's not a trick question. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of what? This life, that would imply that there's this life and there's what? That life, okay, eternity, right? So no one who is in the war entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he or she may do what? Please him who enlisted him. Did you enlist? No, you were drafted. That's a little extra there. If you, you, know, the, you were drafted by Jesus who enlisted him or her as a soldier. So what is that saying? That in order to be faithful, faithful not only involves being patient, enduring hardship, but it also involves uh, our priorities. When you, those of you that were in the military, you weren't able to go into the military and say, now guys, let me just, um, I'm good from eight to five, but I got this job and I need Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday off, but I'll be back in the barracks on Monday morning first thing. That didn't happen. 
you're all in. You're all in. You're not distracted. Uh, you're out there in boot camp. I guarantee you, I have never seen those guys running those miles full of backpacks. And how much weight is probably on that? 30, 40, 50, 60 pounds? Not that much? Oh, more. What? Maybe 100, 75? Yeah. Well, marching. I can barely carry a television across the living, you know what I'm saying? So, but one thing I have yet to see is any of pictures where guys have got little earphones in their, he- in their ears, little, you know, the little white wire, and they're just, they're listening to Casey and the Sunshine Band as they're going, right? Boy, that dates me, doesn't it? That really did it, right? Why? They're not going to get distracted from what they're called to do. We get so distracted. And you know what some of our biggest distraction is? This right here. But there's another aspect. Paul says also, if you look down verse uh, chapter 4, verse 7, where he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. He uh, it's not just in patience, enduring hardship. It's not just in right priorities and not being distracted, but it's also in his practice as a soldier that he has kept, he has maintained the faith. He has maintained that which he has been called to do. Paul would tell Timothy back in chapter 6, verse 20 of 1 Timothy, he said, Oh, Timothy, guard, keep that which has been entrusted to you. A soldier has been entrusted in the natural. They've been entrusted with the billions of dollars of resources of the United States government. They've been entrusted with secrets and codes and weapons and knowledge that nobody else has. They've been entrusted. How much more has God entrusted his soldiers with the gospel? But we know what the word AWOL is, even if you've never been in the military. Absent without leave. How many soldiers that profess Christ in the spiritual are AWOL? You know, sometimes we're so worried about the government coming to get us. Government's coming to get us. They're at our doorsteps. They're invading our phones. They're coming to get us. Listen, some Christians, they wouldn't have enough evidence to convict us of being a follower of Jesus. And we're so worried about how they're going to get us. Don't be distracted. Thirdly, a soldier knows not only about being a follower, knows something about being faithful. A soldier knows about focus. Being about a, a soldier about focus. Look back at in 2 Timothy 2.4, the New Living Translation of that same verse I mentioned earlier has to do with focus. It says, soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life. For then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. I think that goes back to what Jesus was saying about no one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back. There's a, there's a dualness. There's a, there's a struggle of loyalty there. The message paraphrase, 2 Timothy 2.4, says it this way. Same verse, just a little bit uh, differently. A soldier on duty 
doesn't get caught up in making deals at the marketplace. He or she concentrates on carrying out orders. Where do we get our orders? Jesus said in, that, we, that we hear the commander's voice. We hear his voice. Remember what he said in John 10? To him, the doorkeeper opens. He was talking about the sheep and the shepherd. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. And it says in John 10, three through five, for they know what? They know his voice. Something amazing about moms that have this ability. You know where I'm going with this. You could have a room full of crying babies. But you know your baby. When your baby cries, you know that, you know that cry. You know that voice. Jesus not only knows his own sheep, but his sheep, using that metaphor, those who follow him, we know the voice of the commander. How do you get to know the voice of the commander? How do you get to know the voice of Christ? Well, you spend time with Jesus. How do you do that? You pray, you worship, and you get in his word. And that way, when somebody brings a contrary voice, you're saying, that doesn't sound like the master. That doesn't sound like the master. That, that sounds different, and I'm not going to follow that voice. Some believers are so confused and, and are torn with so many different concepts and ideas is because they don't know the master's voice. So, so part of that focus is focusing upon hearing the master's voice. We also focus upon the skill of using his weapons. Weapons, yes, his weapons. Again, we're not talking about natural weapons, even though some people think that Peter had a conceal and carry permit in the garden when he whipped out that sword and cut the guard of the high priest's ear off. Some of you, we won't ask for hands, but some of you I know and I have have gone through conceal and carry training. And one of the things is, that they teach you is to focus on what you are doing. You have an instrument that can kill somebody, right? And if you're just kind of like, yeah, I mean, pull out your, what, what, what are we supposed to do? Okay, all right, you're just, I took mine through the sheriff's department. Trust me, they were really, really made sure you focus, as I'm sure all the others did. And so if we were going to focus, that's what Paul was saying. I, I paraphrased it earlier, Ephesians 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on. Notice it says put on. That's an action. You have to decide put on the whole armor of God, the whole armor of God. And he draws that out, lists that out, that you may be able to do what? That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We talked about the devil last week. And then he goes on in verse 17 of Ephesians 6 to take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which he says is the Word of God. In other words, if we are going to be people that are focused, we've got to make sure we understand our weapons. One of the things in that conceal and carry training that they tell you to do is that if you own a firearm, if you have one of these weapons is to use it, or should I say practice, <laughs> just don't go out and use it, but to go to the firing range, to make sure that your weapon 
is that you use it in some frequency, a practice, that you have the ability to, to be familiar with it in a controlled environment, so God forbid that you would ever have to use it in an emergency or to protect you or your family. You know, like, where's the safety button? Where's the bullets? Where's the, are they in this drawer? I mean, you're not like some fool, right? You're skilled in the use of your weapon. You're skilled in how to use it. So if you wanted to protect you, you make sure that you're protecting and you are using it to fend off a intruder or whoever it is attacking you or your family, and you don't shoot the dog or yourself. How many of you know that you read that stuff all the time? Now, this is off track, but I, I still never understand how somebody gets shot and killed cleaning their gun. I mean, I understand the mechanics of it, but I'm a, I'm a moron with this stuff. And I know to make sure that all that stuff is instead of just cleaning the gun, loaded, whatever. Why? Because they're not skilled in the weapon that God has given us. You with me? Because I'll just preach longer if you get quiet. And that implies that we need to be focused, that we do have an enemy, and there is a strategy. The good soldier knows that the enemy is ever active and never rests. There are some that think that we just can reach a place in our American culture where we could just kind of we don't need border security. We don't need the military. We just hone it all down. We don't need to have all this billions of dollars spent on cyber technology and all this stuff. Come on, you know, listen, let's get real. We don't need all that stuff. Really? Are we that naive and crazy? Why? Because there is an enemy. Do you realize that there are reports of, of Nations like China and Russia that have literal thousands of people that do nothing 24-7, that try to hack into computers and technology centers of the West, and that is all they do all day long in trying to figure that out. And you think because you put in your little software and do, 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 and all that, and like, you're good, nobody's going to get your stuff. If they want your stuff, guess what? They probably already got it. If you're thinking about abandoning technology, you're about 20, 30 years too late. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? Why do we sell it? Because there is an enemy. Guess what? Do we need to even go beyond 9-11? There is an enemy that wants to destroy this United States of America. That's why we are vigilant. So there is a spiritual enemy that is masquerading, the Bible says, as an angel of light. What is an angel of light? Something good, something helpful. Deception. Jesus said that the, there is an adversary, the devil, who comes in John 10.10. 10, he says, who comes to rob, kill, destroy. But he says, but I've come to bring you life. Fourth, a soldier must know something about fighting. In verse 7 of chapter 4, notice three phrases there. Paul says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I kept the faith. Three things. He says, I fought the fight. That's a determination. I fought the good fight. You know, what a, you know what a good fight is? The one you win. I love the great philosophical statesman 
Some of you may be familiar with some of his works. You may have some of his volumes of material in your home. Uh, Mike Tyson. Anybody ever heard of that great philosopher? <laughs> but he makes a statement that I never forgot. He said, everybody that steps in the ring has a plan till they get punched in the face. Think about that. That's true. Everybody's got a plan. And he could punch you, and that would be all that we need. You might have an early arrival in heaven. A good fight. Have you ever been in a fight? Well, don't raise your hand. Wait, don't, don't let me think good of you. Especially some of you women. I, I don't want to have that imagery. Sherry's told me about some fights she's been in as a kid. Can you believe, can you believe this sweet woman was in some brawls? And one of them was in church. I'm not talking about as my wife as a pastor. I'm talking about when she was a little kid, somebody was being mean to her. And I remember this one kid. I will never forget his name. I think it was in third grade. His name was John Dubois. I will never forget that name. John Dubois, red hair. And for some reason, me and my friend just decided to pick on him. Kids are mean, right? One day, he just got enough of me. And he turned around and hit me so perfectly right in the nose, in the face. You ever been hit or maybe slammed against the wall or whatever, maybe not some violent thing, and your eyes start watering? And I remember going, I'm not crying, I'm not crying, because my, my eyes were like... Now, in typical male fashion, men, what happens is sometimes, sometimes somebody we get in a fight with, what happens? We become best buddies. Isn't that crazy? Women don't do that. They're enemies for life. They'll remember what Mary Jo so-and-so did in second grade for eternity. Guys, you know, hey, let's go out and have a, you know, a good fight. Paul said, I have fought. Remember he's saying this at the end of his life. Notice he also says that he was driven. He says, I finished my course. I finished the purposes and plans of God. Wouldn't that be one of the most great things to say when we draw our last breath is to say, I finished the purpose of God that I was created for and designed to do. I finished what he was given, gave me to do. One of the, if you could call it fears, I mean, I don't, I don't live by fear, is to reach that place and to have regrets and say, oh, I wish I had done this. You heard somebody say, nobody's ever been at their deathbed and said, oh, I wish I'd worked that overtime a little more. I wish I didn't throw the baseball with the kids. I wish I didn't take that extra vacation. What a regret. No, it's a sense of saying, and that's in the natural, but in the spiritual, why are you here? Are you just here like one time I heard Geraldo uh, uh, Rivera say, you're born, you do stuff, and you die. Is that what life is about? Or are you here and saying, not only was I born by the sovereignty of God, I was born again by the sovereignty of God, and that means my life has purpose. One of the greatest books that was sold in the past century. Why? Because it hit a chord. was the purpose-driven life. Because people want to say, is my life just some waffling sailboat out in the ocean? Are we just like the old Kansas song, uh, dust in the wind, just floating all out of outer space? Is that what life is? 
Or does my life have meaning? Does it have purpose? Where I could say, I have finished the race. I have finished the assignment that God has given me to do. What is your assignment? I don't know. Well, you know what? Let's pray and say, God, help me to discover my assignment. One of the struggles believers have is they go through their Christian life trying to figure out what their assignment is. And you know who they never ask? They ask the pastor. They ask the, everybody. But they never say and do what James 1 says, let him who lacks wisdom ask God, God, what is it that is my assignment? What is it that I have been not only born to do, but born again, redeemed to do? What is that? And he says he's kept the faith. He kept his, he kept not just faith. Notice it didn't say that. I'm sure he had faith. But notice what it says. I have kept what? The faith. I have not abandoned truth. I have not abandoned the gospel. Jude 3 says that we are to earnestly contend for the faith. Not faith, but the faith. There are certain definable truths that define what Christianity and the gospel is all about. Fifth, soldier of the Lord is a follower defined by faithfulness, must have focus, is a fini- and, and last is knows something about finishing. Knows something about finishing. Again, look at chapter 4, 7 through 8. Paul said, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Then he says, finally, remember this is the end of his life. There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who love his appearing. A good soldier has got to be somebody who has resolve. This is a lot, you know, this is not a, a sprint. This is a marathon. Paul, would you, Paul must have loved sports because he talked about fighting the good fight, if you want to use it in that way, you know, like a, he talks about uh, uh, like a boxer or running the race, finishing the race. It's a marathon. It's long term. We think that if we just sprint for a little while and I don't see anything happen, then I'm going to go, you know, this thing doesn't work. I'm going to go try something different. No, it's a race. And sometimes that race will take you through some valleys, right? What are valleys metaphors in the Bible for? Hardship, suffering. Remember what we always say? You're either in a valley, getting ready to go in a valley, or what? You're coming out of a valley. That's life, right? How many of you are out of a valley right now? You say, thank God I'm out of that valley. Well, there's one down the road. I'm just letting you know. How many of you are in a valley? Just be honest. We're not, right? Yeah, you're in a valley. You're in that place. But in that valley, what, is, what did the word say in Psalm 23? Though I walk through that valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because thou art with me. Jesus said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Even if you make your bed in hell, the Bible says, behold, he's there. Finishing, resolve. He's a finisher. I confess, I have begun some projects. 
They didn't quite get finished. Do I hear an amen from some men that will not let me stand alone? Some things that began with great gusto, tore the room up, great fanfare, and things happened. Didn't get finished. Jesus said on the cross, it is what? Aren't you glad Jesus was a finisher? Aren't you glad he finished what God had sent him to do? Amen? Soldier not only has, is a finisher, endures hardship, but he has a reward. He knows that there is an acknowledgement that all that was done. Bible doesn't say that we, by any means, we can't earn salvation, for salvation is by grace through faith, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, right? But there are rewards that, are, that come with the, the, for the believer. That's a whole different aspect. And he says, verse 8, Finally, there is laid up for me a man who is near the reality of this, a, a general of the faith writing this, There's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not only to me, he says, but all to have loved his appearing. When we hear those words that are recorded in Matthew 25, well done, well done, thou good and faithful. Can we say, it says servant, but a good servant's a soldier and a good soldier in the king. King's army is a servant. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. One of my stories, and I'm, I, I probably have told this before, but it just fit. It's a favorite missionary story of a couple who, for decades, served the Lord in faithful service overseas, endured hardship and suffering, and, and their heart's desire was to stay on the field, but because of their age and failing health, they had to, after 30, 40 years, had to return back to the United States. Listen, don't let anything distract you. They tried to appeal to their mission board, and they just said, you know what? You've done enough. You're age. You need to come home. And they packed up all their belongings and boarded this day and time in the 20s. They boarded a, a steamship that left the European coast where they had traveled to, bound for New York, and headed back home after all this time serving Christ without fanfare, without... But also on that ocean liner that they were on was a popular, well-known government official that was known all over the world, and his wife were also on this same ship. And over the weeks at sea, this elderly couple observed that official's drunkenness, womanizing, foul language, what a marked contrast to the lifestyle that they had become accustomed to. And And they grew even more disheartened when upon their arrival in New York, the official and his wife 
were greeted with great fanfare, a, a band, reporters, photographers, roses for his wife, banners acknowledging their coming home, the works. And this aged little missionary couple, heartbroken and spent for their service for Christ, walked off the plank through the crowd, nobody there to meet him, no fanfare, no band. The husband fought back, tears that began to run down his cheek. And he, see, looked at his wife. She said, what's wrong, honey? And he said, my whole life, I've given it for Christ. We've spent ourselves for Jesus, and nobody is here to even greet us. No flowers for you. And his dear wife thought for a moment and gave some great wisdom. And then she said, honey, we're not home yet. We're not home yet. Soldiers for Christ in this life, don't expect your reward here. There's a reward. We see the king and hear those words that I can't even imagine. And again, it's when he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant, I, I can't even fathom the sense of how there's nothing good except Christ in me. But the creator of the universe who spoke worlds into existence would say to me, would say to you, well done. Be a follower. Be faithful. Focus. And finish well. Be a soldier for Christ. Amen. Let's stand to our feet.